The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, I have with me Anna Jaworski, Amy Bennett, and Nancy Sands. All of these brave women have babies who have had cardiac defects and they have breastfed their babies. I'm hoping that each of you can gain a real understanding of the clinical course that the baby had as well as the issues that these mothers dealt with in terms of their breastfeeding experience. And what I'm hoping to do here is to shed some light for those of you who might have a similar circumstance. So I'm going to start with Anna. Anna, can you tell us a little bit about your experience as a mother from the breastfeeding experience, tell me a little bit about what happened with your baby. How many weeks gestation was he? Was he full term or near term or what? Tell me about his weight and his APGAR scores, and then we'll talk a little bit more about how you knew what was happening. Well, hi, Marie. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm very excited about this. And I had two sons. I had one son named Joseph who was perfectly healthy and I breastfed him for his first year of life with no problems. So when I had my second son, Alexander, I was expecting to breastfeed him as well. He was born at 37 weeks gestation, so he did come a little bit early. Uh, and his weight was six and a half pounds, so he was a good healthy weight. I'm only five one, and so that was plenty of baby for me. <laughs> his APGAR scores were eight and nine. So... Uh-huh. The funny thing is that the the second he was born and placed into my husband's hands because he was in the delivery room with me, he said the baby's breathing too fast. My husband is a nurse, but he works with adults. He doesn't normally work with children. Uh-huh. But he in, immediately felt something was wrong. They told him it was breast, uh, breast. listen to me, I'm talk, thinking about the breast already, that it was newborn breathing and not to worry about it. And like I said, he did get an eight and a nine on his APGAR scores. I want all of our nurse types to listen to that because very often with these babies, they will come out APGARing just fine. But the fact of the matter is, it's thereafter when things start looking not so good. Now, did you breastfeed him immediately after he was born, Anna? No, he was born at 11 minutes after midnight. Okay. <laughs> and so they cleaned him up and they took him to the nursery. And, and I did not uh, feed him until the next morning. 
Okay, so would you say there was six or eight hours of time in between? Right, five to six hours. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how did the baby behave at the breast for the first breastfeeding? Did he seem eager or tired or what? He was exhausted. Uh-huh. He the nurse, they brought him into me, but he had not woken up crying. They just brought him into me because I think they thought, you know, he was on the schedule to, to nurse and he just slept. And so I tried to interest him in nursing, which I never had a problem with with my first son. And they said, oh, he's a sleepyhead. He's three weeks early. Sometimes we see this. Don't worry about it. Hmm. So he was really sleep. And by the way, that could be just the sleep cycle that he was in. As for the 37 weeks, I don't know. I've seen that. Yes. And I've seen that. No. But I think my question would be then... When was when did you get a feeding where you started to sense that maybe the feeding itself was tiring him out? Well, he when he would nurse, he would only nurse for five minutes, and then he would fall asleep on me. Uh-huh. And would you describe him as seeming more satisfied or more exhausted at the end of the, the feeding? You know, they just kept telling me so much that he was a sleepyhead that I just thought he was tired. I wouldn't say exhausted mm-hmm. because I don't okay. usually associate the word exhaustion with a baby, especially a baby who sleeps as much as he did. But I knew something was wrong from the get-go because Joey would nurse for 30 minutes on one side and Alex would fall asleep after five minutes and he wasn't interested when I changed positions for him to nurse on the second breast. He wouldn't. He he was totally uninterested. He wouldn't latch uh-huh. on. Uh-huh. How did his color look, Anna? You might not have noticed, but your husband is a nurse. Was he noticing that? Yeah. You know, he, he looked fine, except after a couple of days, we noticed that he looked jaundiced. And uh-huh. the major reason why I felt he looked jaundiced is when I was putting him in his car seat to go to the doctor, because we went to the hospital every other day for the first week of his life because we knew something was wrong. Um, the liner that I had in the car seat was yellow. Oh. <laughs> so it really made him look even more yellow than maybe he did. He was never yellow enough for the Billy lights. When I took him in, they said he wasn't that yellow. Uh, but he did, he wouldn't uh, nurse properly. I contacted three different lactation consultants in the first week of his life. They gave me all these different ways to hold him, the football hold, the baby doll hold. They told me that um, maybe he was just too warm. Take we, we live in Texas, and it was August. Take all of his clothes off and go get a damp washcloth and put the washcloth on his body to wake him up. So I kind of uh-huh. feel like I tortured my baby, but that's what I did. After five minutes when he'd fall asleep, the washcloth was his body temperature, so I'd go over to the sink and re-wet it with cool water to get him to try and nurse on the other side. Uh-huh. And I just... I force fed him every three hours. This is so unfortunate because a lot of times what I see is that with, quote, breastfeeding experts, unquote, what what their natural inclination to do is to try to get the baby to do better breastfeeding and they try to do better breastfeeding management. But in fact, as I'm hearing your story, it sounds to me like really something should, and I didn't see the baby, but I would really be looking for things like uh, 
a, a discoloration of his oral areas. We usually call it circumoral paler. I'd be real interested to see that. And on the jaundice, now that's kind of interesting. Did he have, for example, clubbed fingers or toes, bluish well, colors, anything like that? He never had bluish colors because he had so many holes in his heart that his blood was mixing. Oh, so I see. Even okay. though he had a severe heart defect, which we didn't know about at the time, um, he actually had some bad things compensating for other bad things. So his, his holes were compensating for the fact that he had transposition of the great vessels. Vessels, which yeah. could be in and of itself fatal. But because he had all of these extra holes... Um, it, it compensated, and he was never blue. And in fact, later after the diagnosis, they they even comforted me and said, "No, he he was never blue." Okay. <laughs> okay. Blood that you didn't miss that sign. I didn't know what clubbing of the fingers and toes was, but yes, he he did have clubbing of the fingers and toes, and that should have yeah. tipped the doctor yes. off. I mean, yes, took him back, and he saw so many people in newborn follow up and with the lactation consultants that somebody should have picked it up. Plus, my husband was an ER nurse. And at that time, the boys and I would frequently take him dinner. And every time we did, he would grab a different doctor and say, come look at my son. I think something's wrong. He's breathing too hard. Especially after the first month, uh, when Alex would breathe, you could start to see a cleft in his chest. And that really, really concerned us. But they kept telling us that it was newborn breathing. And Frank said, he's not a newborn anymore. He's four weeks old. He's six weeks old. Finally, yes. at eight weeks old, uh, I took Frank dinner. He pulled aside a doctor he really respected who hadn't seen Alex before and said, look at my son. Don't you think he's breathing too hard? And he was very quiet. And he turned to me and said, when is his next appointment? And I said, his two-month well baby checkup is in three days. And he said, well, he should be fine till then. Oh. Well, that should have been a huge red flag for me. Yes. But it yes. Was, I, and my, that gentleman had a really hard time looking at my husband uh, after he found out how serious Alex's heart defect was and, and that you know, we waited another three days. The hospital that my husband works at is the biggest hospital in our area and actually services many other small towns around us. So I didn't even think to take him to another hospital. So, Anna, what about, uh, before we go to break here, what about his weights? Was the baby losing weight? He never lost weight. Yeah, well, he okay. lost weight while he was in the hospital before he went home like all babies. Well, they all do. Sure. But um, sure. But the, here was the problem. When he went in for that two-month well baby checkup, he had only gained nine ounces. Uh, so that okay. they labeled him failure to thrive. But yes. it, really, Marie, when you think about it, it's a miracle that yes. I got him to gain any weight. And I think the only way I did was by force feeding him like I did. <laughs> well, uh, honestly, as I hear your story, I'm thinking what a lucky little boy that Alex was. And I'm thinking that probably having the mother and being so close to the mother and having the, the mother's milk and all of those things was enormously important in his ultimate outcome. 
I would also like to say for those nurses who might be listening, I think that what Anna is talking about with the breathing is that somebody was trying to chalk this up to what we typically call TTN or transient tachypnea of the newborn. But in fact, it sounds like it was more than just the TTN. And I'm very surprised that someone wasn't looking at for instance, I asked the question about the clubbing of the fingers. That would not be at all unusual with the kinds of things that you're describing. And I would also say, certainly, failure to thrive can't be diagnosed with just one uh, uh, one one weight. But on the other hand, gaining nine ounces from birth to two months is one of those things where somebody probably should have should have wondered. So anyway, my moral to this story, for those who are professional listeners here, is look at the whole baby, look at the whole mommy, look at the whole situation. Because very often, most of us want to think that we can help the mother to do better breastfeeding. And it sounds like Alex got shuffled from cradle position, football position, this, that, and the other thing. And uh, better latch and better positioning isn't always going to do it. It's it's one of those things that's really, really frightening as we think about it. Uh, quickly, Anna, before we go to break and before we get on the other side of the break to meet our other mothers today, tell us the name of your book and your website, and then we'll talk with you later in, this, in the show. Okay, that's great. I actually have four books out, and you can read about them at my website. It's babyheartspress.com. And uh, the, the book that the first book I wrote is called Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a Handbook for Parents. Is that a mouthful or what? Oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. That is the name of my son's heart defect, hypoplastic left heart syndrome. But then I put together two books of essays from women around the world called The Heart of a Mother and then essays from men from around the world called The Heart of a Father. All of these essays are by parents and grandparents and survivors of congenital heart defects. And then my book that's uh, dedicated to my son, Joey, is called My Brother Needs an Operation. Excellent. I would encourage everyone to visit Anna's site. Don't go away. Uh, I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed. We'll come right back right after this short break. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. 
Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Thank you, everyone, for returning. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. Welcome back to the show. We just got through having a very interesting session with Anna Jaworski. And I have with me today as well another mother of a baby with a cardiac defect, Amy Bennett. Amy, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. Amy, I know that you also have a baby with a congenital heart defect. Can you tell us, you said that you actually were not able to breastfeed your baby. And of course, the first question out of my mouth in trying to organize the show was, do you think that it was cardiac related? And without an instant's hesitation, you said, yes, you felt that that had been a problem for you. Talk to us about why you felt that it was a problem and what kind of messages you got from the hospital staff. Absolutely. Uh, this was fascinating to me to hear Anna's experience because my, my son was diagnosed when I was pregnant, so it was a completely uh, different experience. Okay. Um, my son, uh, he was born full term. I made it clear before he was born that if at all possible, I wanted to breastfeed him. I had breastfed my older daughter, who was three when he was born. I had breastfed her until she self-weaned right around, um, I think, a couple weeks before she turned two years old. Um, So I was, I think, I don't think there was a person in the delivery room who did not know that I wanted to breastfeed my son um, when he was born. Um, They... You know, children who are prenatally diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, my son has the same condition as Alex, um, they know they're going to be having open heart surgery within the first week of life. Uh So because of that, a lot of surgical centers will not allow babies to breastfeed before surgery um, because there's there's a risk that they could have to go into that surgery at any point in time, and they just don't want to run the risk of there being anything in their system at all. And they're their perfusion to their gut is not optimal at that stage. I mean, it's never optimal with these kids, but it's particularly not optimal at the newborn stage. Yes. Um, That's changing. There are some centers that are now allowing newborns to breastfeed because um, one of the biggest problems that these kids face is they're, you know, they have surgery somewhere within the first week of life, and then they're on the ventilator, and then you have to wait for them to come off the ventilator. And some of these kids, they're not 
even attempting to eat at all until they're two, three, four weeks old, and you know that it's very hard to maintain the the sucking reflex until then. Um, so my son had uh, his surgery at uh, five days old, um, and then he came back um, on the ventilator, and he was on the ventilator another ten days. So the once they got him off the ventilator and started bottle feeding. I, I asked the very first opportunity they thought it was safe for me to to attempt to breastfeed. So he was, you know, probably two and a half, three weeks old at that time, I would guess. Okay. Um, so I, you know, we, they, the hospital I was at was fantastic. They gave us an occupational therapist who also happened to be a lactation consultant, which was amazing. So she was super excited. Um, yes, yes. The very first attempt that we did to breastfeed, he latched on immediately, um, oh. but he started sputtering at the breast and coughing. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. So it gave us a pretty clear indicator that there was probably a problem with his airway, um, and there was. Uh, one of his vocal cords was paralyzed during the first surgery. So, and, and, and my understanding is that that is not terribly uncommon. It is not. It's, it's not a super common complication, but of the complications you could have, it's probably one of the most common. Yes, yes. So when that happens, his vocal cords could not close to adequately protect his airway. So yes. for us, breastfeeding just simply wasn't safe for him because he couldn't swallow thin liquids. There was too great a risk of aspiration. So uh, all of his feeds had to be thickened until that vocal cord healed. Um, so we were lucky there are some babies where it is so bad that they can't even take thickened feeds. It's just not safe. His other vocal cord compensated enough that I was able to pump, and then we could thicken the breast milk. And he was, So he was able to at least still get breast milk, which was really important to me. Amy, excuse me for interrupting. Sure. Uh, quest, question for you. I am not... Uh, I am not immediately read up on all of the controversy surrounding the thickened feeds versus the non-thickened feeds. I was up to date on that a couple of years ago. I don't know if there's anything else, but uh, for those who are listening, I would just say make sure that before you accept that as a done deal about the, the thickened feedings, that you really push your medical team on what the current evidence is about the thickened feedings. And I'm also interested in the pumping. Now, you, I think you jumped ahead a little bit there, but I have to assume that somebody got you with pumping your milk before the two and a half weeks were up, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I, okay. <laughs> I think I was, I think I was pumping before I even saw him because I had a C-section. He was on a different floor of the hospital. I mean, I saw him right when he okay. was born, and then he was taken uh-huh. to the NICU. Okay. And I don't think I saw him until the next day. And I think, I, I mean, I told them get that pump in here now. Yes. <laughs> I yes. wanted to start doing that immediately. So I, yes, I had a hospital grade pump at the, his birth hospital, they provided it, and then he was transferred to the hospital where ultimately his surgeries were performed, and I just rented the hospital-grade pump and took it with me. And, and did anyone speak to you about how important it was for a baby who is in that situation to have the what I call the bioactive factors, the protective factors in the human milk? It's not just about nutrition. You know, I think... I don't recall having that conversation, but it may have been because 
it was, I was pumping. There was no question about it. I was so set on it. And I think the practitioners knew where I stood that I think they probably okay. figured they didn't need to sell me on it. Just sell you on it. <laughs> but I have heard yes. of many other heart moms having that same conversation with their care centers. I know my son's care center, they were, they did tell me, oh, we're so glad you're doing this. This is the best thing you can do for your son. Um, and they were ex- extremely supportive of it. And up until the point where I filled that entire refrigerator and they wanted me to start taking it home. Yes, yes. Now, did anyone explain to you that it's actually less work for, and by work, I mean oxygen expenditure. Did anyone explain to you how it is actually less work for the baby to be suckling the breast than to be suckling an artificial nipple? And I just used the wrong word. I should have said sucking the artificial nipple. Did anyone explain that to you? No, and in fact, I didn't learn that until later because I was distinctly given the impression that they preferred for hypoplast babies who are in that fragile inner stage, they prefer for them to bottle feed instead of breastfeed, and that's one of the reasons they cite. And I learned later that that wasn't true, that, that it actually is much easier to breastfeed on the baby than it is to suck from a nipple. But a lot of hospital care centers seem to kind of still tell moms that, oh, the bottle's much easier than the breast. It just takes too much energy. And it kind of frustrates me when I hear centers telling moms that because it's just not true. No, it's just not true. And there are a number of studies that are out there that look at the amount of oxygen burning that occurs. Um, I'm thinking, oh, now I'm really going back in my brain here. Um, uh, I'm thinking that, um, I want to say it was Highlander's study some years ago. And by the way, how old is your baby who's probably not a baby anymore? (laughs) He is now, he just turned four. Oh, okay. So we, and and I, I pumped until he was 10 months old, and he had had enough times in that 10 months where he wasn't allowed to eat, and I stockpiled. So he had breast milk until he was 15 months old. I just think it's really important. I'm sensitive to the fact that this interview will be heard live, but also there will be a number of people who will be hearing it uh on iTunes or in some recorded fashion. And so people should understand that whatever I'm saying today is not necessarily what is um, true for tomorrow or for yesterday. But I think for me, the real important part here is not for me to tell anybody else how to manage a baby, that I am not a physician, this is not medical advice, all of that. But I think it's just really important that parents ask those questions and, in fact, to push the healthcare team on where did this come from and is there, you know, there's so much information nowadays about evidence-based practice, evidence-based practice, evidence-based practice, but some of that just gets lost where it comes to uh, uh, breastfeeding the baby. So I want to make sure not that parents make unrealistic demands, not that parents tell doctors how to manage their baby's cardiac disease, not that I should ever say that either, but rather to raise those important questions because those are the things that in fact uh, I, I think parents just need to understand, you know? You're absolutely right. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's I see moms a lot in the various online forums um, and moms that I help through my nonprofit, Sisters by Heart. We, we reach out to newly diagnosed moms, so we get a lot of moms in that, 
you know, before birth and then immediate postpartum stage who have these newborns. And, and I, anytime I see a mom asking about breastfeeding, I always try to encourage them, bring up the subject with your care center. Ask these yes. questions because it's, it is not possible for a good portion of hypoplasts to breastfeed. There's just a lot of factors, but it is possible for some. And if it's important to you, push for it because there are so many benefits. Um, uh, to me, the real, the real deal here is raising the question, not necessarily, um, uh, not necessarily trying to take over your child's care, but rather raising that question because a lot of times it's just not front and center, uh, and, and understandably so. The fact of the matter is the healthcare profession is usually trying to do what they can to get your baby to, to live another day. Exactly. And that's that's. <laughs> but as the baby's mother, I think that just having that conversation, as one of my guests said the other day, having that conversation is so enormously important. Amy, thank you so much for all of your story here, and congratulations to you for pumping and pumping and pumping. And by the way, when you started out, you said you didn't breastfeed that baby. That's not entirely true. And that is, my friend Debbie Bokar would call that indirect breastfeeding. You have, in fact, given your milk to your child in the way that seemed to make the most sense at the time. So congratulations to you. Good woman. Good baby. God bless you. You've done a beautiful job. Thank you so much. Now, everybody stay with us and we will be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. We'll be back. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Tune into Lotus Radio, Nourishing Life with Jane Dabu. Every week for everything you need to take personal responsibility in your quest for optimal health. We'll discuss topics pertaining to alternative medicine, as well as answer your questions about diseases, health, mental, and emotional conditions, and spirituality. 
Our guest experts include researchers, medical professionals, and advocates. Lotus Radio can be heard live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuso. I am the host for your show, and I am feeling like a very, very fortunate woman and a very, very humble nurse today, as I've just finished talking with Anna Jaworski, who has had a baby with a cardiac defect, as well as Amy Bennett, and I would like to welcome to the show now Nancy Sands, and her baby also has... um, a cardiac defect. I'll let Amy, uh, excuse me, I'll let Nancy tell you about it. Nancy's baby is substantially younger. She is still breast, still breastfeeding the baby, Nancy? No, I'm not. You're not at this point. I'm pumping for her. I'm pumping pumping for her. Yes. Uh, So anyway, I'm going to let Nancy give you the short story of her baby's specific defect and Interestingly, she has had a very different experience. She actually has been able to breastfeed her baby. And so go ahead, Nancy. Tell us how your experience has gone. Tell us about your baby and then uh, tell us how old the baby is and what she was diagnosed with, when she was diagnosed in your breastfeeding experience. Sure. My baby, Sophie, is 18 months old, and she was diagnosed prenatally with hypoplastic left heart, HLHS, um, like the other two babies. And um, she is getting pumped breast milk now. Um, I was able to I was able to feed her at the breast at four days old before her first surgery at five days old. They allowed me that. She was doing really well for pre-surgery. She didn't even need oxygen, and usually they do need oxygen because of the prostaglandins yes. to keep the, yes. everything open. And um, then we were able to um, I was able to feed her on the breast after after her first surgery, the Norwood. So she was about three weeks old. And um, they will allowed me one time a day for 15 minutes, and that was it. Okay. And then they would then they would give her um, then they would give her a bottle. They they told me, and I found this interesting when I was listening earlier that it was much much harder for the baby to to breastfeed. Oh yes, I totally believe that they said that. I totally believe that they said that, but it's just not true. It's a myth. There right. is and, no and evidence know not to show to ask, that. Not to ask, right? Yeah, and they they had a speech therapist there with me, and they had a lactation consultant, and um, they had me use a nipple shield, which was a little bit unwieldy. And um, in order to get her to suck, we had to um, we had to use syringes of breast milk. So it felt kind of cumbersome having the breast shield and and or the nipple shield and the syringe of milk and everything. But we got it to work, and um, right. we we were able to breastfeed the one time per day, and. Um, then she had her second surgery a little bit early, right at three months. And um, after that surgery, because she was intubated, of course, um, I think I think her muscles, I think her rib cage was sore after that surgery. And we were Very doing possibly. the football side hold because that was the only one I knew, and that's the only one I'd been taught. I hadn't taken a class or anything. 
Um, I told everyone from the get-go that I was going to breastfeed her. I was going to breastfeed her, but I'd never taken a class because I thought the lactation consultants would give me a better education than any class I could have ever taken. And um, anyways, when um, so after that surgery, they, they didn't want me to breastfeed her for a while because um, they were worried about she wasn't gaining weight enough after the Glenn surgery at three months old. So um, finally when I did, um, with the care of a lactation consultant, she would just be crying and she would refuse to latch. And uh-huh. I could never get her back to the breast. And in, in hindsight, I think it was because that position was really awkward for her. And I tried other positions. I just wasn't very skilled in them, like the, uh-huh. the, the laying on the bed and trying that one when she's on her back. Um, but I just kept getting much more stressed about the whole issue and kept trying and trying. I would try it when she was asleep, try to trick her into it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And it was, it was just a very stressful time. So, so I'm still pumping for her. Um, I, I tried many times to get her back to the breast, and then we ended up having an emergency um, surgery, a third open-heart surgery when she was six months old, oh, and wow. um, she, she, she did get the vocal pull cord paralysis at that surgery, and so ended up getting a G-tube and everything, but I've weaned her off that pretty much, and um, so she's still getting my breast milk at 18 months because that's what she does best on, and that's her story. Wow. Wow. And, you know, it's, what do you think made the difference for you uh, do you feel like it was the hospital staff who gave you, I hate to use this word, but that the hospital staff gave you permission to breastfeed? Do you think that that was a big game changer for you? Whereas in Amy's case, uh, from what I can tell, the hospital discouraged her. Would you say that was the game changer for you? Uh, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I think... I, my baby was doing really good. It, it, a lot of the people in the, who, who used my hospital system were really surprised that I was allowed to before the fact. So I think uh-huh. my baby was doing a little bit better than average as far as that. And she also didn't get the vocal cord paralysis in the first surgery, which I'm very lucky for. Yeah. So, so I think they were. I think they were helpful and supportive. It's just. Um, it's it's just it's just a very challenging environment and it's very stressful. To be there, I, I wish I would have done a lot of different things in hindsight. I wish I would have, when she started refusing, done a lot more skin to skin. I wish yes. I would have been doing a, a lot of other things that I didn't do. Well, the one thing that you can't do is beat yourself up because honestly, right. I can tell you that as a nurse, I am always looking back at how I have helped a patient or not helped a patient. And honestly, I can always find something that I could have done better or could have done differently. I could have done this radio show better or I could have done it differently. But the fact of the matter is that all of us need to sort of just be where we're at and accept that we do the best that we can with the information that we have at the moment. And very often, it's only in hindsight that we're able to see that there might have been a different way. I know, for instance, that Anna has talked to me about her son, Alex, wanting to wean before she was ready. And and her question to me was, should I have forced him to go? And the answer is no. No, you know, we, we all have these ideas of how things might have been different, but we all do the best we can with the information that we have at the moment. I'd like to read to all of you a brief, and I do mean brief, couple of sentences out of Dr. Ruth Lawrence's book. Dr. Lawrence, whom I worked with for many years at the University of Rochester Medical Center in Rochester, New York, has a book that is now in its seventh edition 
The title is Breastfeeding, a Guide for the Medical Profession. It's more than a 1,000 pages long. Dr. Lawrence is, by anybody's standards, the great grand guru of all things breastfeeding. And on page 508, here's what she says. She says, when an infant who is diagnosed with congenital heart disease is already feeding at the breast, it is usually not a medical indication to interrupt the process unless surgery is imminent. Even infants with cyanotic heart disease, if they can be fed orally, can breastfeed. The, quote, work, unquote, required to breastfeed is less than the, quote, work required to bottle feed. Heart and respiratory rates remain stable during breastfeeding at the breast. Now, this comes from a woman who is a pediatrician, a neonatologist, a world-renowned expert. And I would like you, as well as all of your other friends who have a baby with any sort of cardiac defect, to understand that breastfeeding is not automatically contraindicated. Yes, there are always some trade-offs. Yes, there are always some some concessions. There are always some things that you have to sort of, you know, figure out what's the risk-benefit. But it's not as though it's just an across-the-board, uh-oh, your baby can't breastfeed. And so that's the message that I would like to give. Before we go to break, that gives me a wonderful opportunity to just tell you that as I'm talking on this show today and every other show for that matter, the information given today does not provide medical advice. The information that I'm giving is provided for informational purposes only, and it is not intended as a substitute for the advice provided by your physician or your baby's physician or any other healthcare professional. So understand here that you should always speak with your physician or your baby's physician or other healthcare professionals before deciding on or declining any medical treatment for yourself or your baby. The information does not necessarily endorse any way or lack of a way Uh, Anything that is mentioned by me or my guests does not create a doctor-patient relationship between you and any of the professionals affiliated with me or the radio show or the website. It's important for you to understand that raising the question, being part of the decision-making process, is enormously important. It is absolutely important and effective for mothers and fathers to realize that they are a member of the decision-making team and that everybody's in it for the best outcomes. But parents absolutely have a right to ask questions, to be an advocate for their baby, and to be part of that decision-making process and should always, always understand for breastfeeding or formula feeding or bottle feeding or any other thing, parents should understand that they are entitled to hear the indications for that treatment, the risks, the benefits, and the alternatives. As I've been talking with uh, Anna 
and Amy and Nancy today, you see that they are three different mothers with three very different children with, albeit the same diagnosis, but in different hospitals with different providers and probably with different individual circumstances, you noticed the differences in their surgery outcomes, their oxygenation need or lack thereof, and so forth. So understand that all of this must be individualized. I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed. Don't go away. When we come back, we're going to do a wrap-up with all of these mothers. We'll be right back. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Are you ready to laugh and learn as you get the info that will get you fit? Small steps can lead to big changes once you're headed in the right direction. Join the dynamic twin sister and exercise expert team of Alexandra Williams and Kimberly Williams-Evans on Active Aging for Boom Chicka Boomers. K&A bring you top-level guests who offer active aging advice and practical tips you can use today. Enjoy the second phase of life with vitality, brain power, and energy. Active Aging for Boom Chicka Boomers airs live Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Thank you, everyone, for returning. I am Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed, and I'm here today with Anna Jaworski, Amy Bennett, and Nancy Sands. We've had a wonderful conversation with all of these women. In the short time that we have left, I would like to ask each mother if there were one thing that would be especially important for you to communicate to every mother of a baby who has some sort of cardiac difficulty and she's breastfeeding, what would that one thing be that you would want to communicate to her? Anna, could I ask you first, please? Yes, but let me clarify, too, that I'm the old mom on the group. (laughs) My son is now 19 years old and in college, so things were quite a bit different 19 years ago. But I think the one piece of advice I would give a heart mom is to trust your gut. I always felt that breastfeeding was best for my babies, and it was the one thing that I could do for my baby. I couldn't fix his heart, but I could help him by giving him my antibodies in the breast milk to keep him healthy. My son never was hospitalized for anything except for his three open-heart surgeries, uh, and he has done very, very well. So I think trusting your gut and doing the best that you can. Not all of the moms can breastfeed. I was lucky after Alex had his Norwood procedure. He nursed for the first time for 20 minutes. And I I confess, I cried. I was yeah. so relieved that the the problems 
it wasn't me. It was that he just didn't have the energy to nurse for more than five minutes. And he was able to gain weight. He did beautifully on breast milk. Um, By the time he had his first surgery, he was 65 days old, which is unheard of, but he's not a classic hypoplastic left heart syndrome kid. He had transposition of the great vessels and his left ventricle was pretty much non-existent. But um, he also had a, a huge BSD and ASD, which kind of compensated for some of the other problems that he had. And he also he, had just a wonderful mother who was absolutely <laughs> determined, well-informed, and absolutely committed to breastfeeding. So it sounds to me like your biggest piece of advice for other mothers would be trust your gut. Yes, and and be there with your baby. That skin-to-skin time is so important. Just one other thing I wanted to add, to: I kind of hammered on the immunologic benefits, but I should also add that human milk is very low in sodium, which is a, a factor that the NICU-type personnel are always interested in because it relates to fluid uh, retention. So that would be just one other thing I would... Uh, say is another sort of positive for you. Anna, thank you so much. Amy, what would be the one thing that you think would be especially important to communicate to a breastfeeding mother whose child has some sort of cardiac problem? I think the most important thing to understand is that just because your child has a heart defect does not necessarily mean that you can't breastfeed. It might look a little different than what you anticipated going in, but I know moms have been able to exclusively breastfeed their CHD kids. I know mom who's done, you know, one feet a day breastfeeding. I know moms like myself who've had to exclusively pump. It might look a little different, but have the conversation with your practitioner. You never know until you actually ask. And so maybe maybe I didn't quite listen carefully enough, but I think that your real message was to raise the question about breastfeeding. Absolutely. Sorry, that was my thought. Yes. To have Uh, a conversation with your practitioner and ask the question, can I breastfeed? If not, why not? Can I pump? What can I do to get as close to what I always envisioned my feeding experience of my child to be? And to not only raise that question and have that conversation, but also to be uh, maybe accepting of yourself that the way in which you had envisioned breastfeeding to go might not exactly be exactly the way you would want it to be, but that that also qualifies as breastfeeding. Am I reading you right? You are 100% correct. It might look a little different. It may not be the exclusive breastfeeding experience you dreamed of, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to be the right experience for you and your child. Absolutely. Amy, before you leave us today, please give us the name of your nonprofit website so that other people can visit you there. Absolutely. It's www.sistersbyheart.org. And we actually did, we reach out to a lot of prenatal families who are facing new HLHS diagnoses, diagnoses. Uh-huh. Um, but we did an incredible blog series last March for nutrition, and the first two series were all about breastfeeding cardiac yes. disease. So yes, yes. Well done. I read that, by the way. Thank um, you. It's a, I would encourage moms to check it out because it's, although we cater to HLHS families, that particular series is applicable to any CHD. Any, good. Good Thanks. for you. 
Excellent. Now, don't go away. We're going to totally wrap up. But Nancy, uh, you're getting the very tail end. So if there were one thing that would be most important for you to communicate to a breastfeeding mother of a baby who has a cardiac difficulty, what would it be? It would be educate yourself. Educate, educate yourself. yourself read, read books, take classes, you know, ask a lot of questions, be proactive about it. But it is possible. And I did read that article, uh, the blog article on Sisters by Heart. It's fantastic. Get a pumping bra. You're going to spend some quality time pumping at least while the baby is in surgery. Um, it's the best thing for him. My daughter is absolutely thriving now. She's doing fantastic for her weight. I'm, I'm so glad that I've been giving her the breast milk. It kept her out of the hospital a lot of times. So I really, I really am grateful for it. And it sounds like you are still into this, still going strong. And for all of us who are out there trying to give care to people like you, we would just say bravo, good for you, and keep going. Hear my applause in the background. Ladies, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you to Anna Jaworski. Please visit her website, which she gave you earlier, and I will uh, put that on my website or tweet it out or both. Uh, Thank you to Amy Bennett. Be sure that you visit her website. Thank you to Nancy Sands, who is also mother par excellence, still breastfeeding her 18-month-old. And all of these women have had very, very different stories, but all really, really excellent and enlightening, I'm sure. Ladies, thank you so much. And actually, as much as I can hardly believe it, that's all the time we have today. I would like to thank Anna J. Worski, Amy Bennett, and Nancy Sands for being with me today. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. Please come back next week. In the meanwhile, please visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up next week. And if you're interested in professional continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. Parents, that website again is borntobebreastfed.com. If you're a professional and you're interested in taking any of the courses that I will be offering either this spring or in the fall, please visit my professional website, or I should say my my site for professionals, and that is at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. We have live programs, we have uh, online programs, and we have those that are hybrid, both online and live. I may be in a city near you, depending on where you live. I would love to be able to meet you and to meet your educational needs. Thank you, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday. Same time, same channel. And in the meanwhile, just remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.